Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything real estate investor, law, tax, and anything you need. Over here at Royal Legal Solutions, we got you covered. I'm here with my good friend, Kathy. Uh, she has graciously agreed to take some time out of her busy schedule to come onto the show uh, and share some lessons learned today. She is going to be airing some dirty laundry about her worst deal. So, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on. And, and what do you think the listeners need to know about you to uh, be able to have a good sense of where you're at um, with your life and your investments you know, bef- right before you're getting into this worst deal? Sure. I, I would say what you'd want to know about me is that I'm tenacious. So I've, I've done some bad deals for sure, but I've done more good ones than bad ones. So I'm ahead. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so Kathy, and, and what's your experience in doing the, the real estate investing before you get into this deal? Is it is something that you had just started doing or you had been investing for a while? Um, you know, I had been, I would say I was fairly new in that now, when I partner with people, you know, I've got, we have, I think we're up to 40,000 members of Real Wealth Network. So there's a lot of people who lean on me to have the right advice and the right connections. And, you know, so I don't want to steer anyone in the wrong direction. So I now only partner with people who have been through several down markets. Uh, so at the time, I hadn't been through a down market. So I didn't know what comes along with that. I had only started investing in 1997, buying our first house and turning it into a fourplex. And it just rode up from there. I mean, I, I think it quadrupled in value in a seven, oh, about a 10 year span. So what did I know about real estate? I only knew that if you bought something, it makes money. <laughs> you know? um, so I, I would like, I would say that I thought I was an expert, but since then now I know there's a really different mindset when you've been through the ups and the downs. It's kind of like, would you want to get into an airplane with a pilot who's only flown in blue skies <laughs> when you know that there, maybe there's a storm coming? Yeah, that's really true, right? I mean, like if you haven't gone through the, when things go sideways, you don't know how agile you can be or how agile you need to be to be able to make it through the recovery, right? Right. Yeah. Have you, um, and you were talking about um, your network of people. Do you want to give us a, just a quick overview of, of what that looks like and what you've created there and why people might want to join? Yeah. When I started uh, in about 2003, I was super desperate to understand the concept of wealth. Uh, I, I had been raised in a you know pretty good you know middle class family. I always had my needs met, but I didn't. Uh, Rich and I had been at a point where at a point in our lives we were at a really hard time where he had just found out that he had melanoma. The doctor thought it had spread, thought it had spread to the liver, which would mean he only had six months to live. We had just bought an enormous house with an enormous mortgage. We had two little kids, and I was a stay at home mom. So we were, uh, we blew through our savings and our emergency fund and our retirement fund and uh, kind of found ourselves just living on the edge. I was buying the kids clothes from garage sales. You know? So I thought, okay, I, I might be taking over the finances here. I didn't believe the doctor and Rich is actually totally fine today. He's healthy as can be. And they cut the melanoma out and it did not spread. 
but at the time we didn't know. So I started the Real Wealth Show to just learn, you know, how do I create wealth while still being a stay-at-home mom? That was my, that was my goal. Like, how do I create this passive income? And I just started interviewing people one after the other. And that grew to where I, I had an audience. I built an audience very quickly who apparently wanted to know the same thing. <laughs> and today we're up to 40,000 members. We educate people on uh, some of the best strategies today for both cash flow and equity grow growth and do offer an enormous amount of education and also connections to people who have deals. Yeah, so this is amazing, right? Like what you've put together, I think is like a dream story that everybody would say, man, maybe one day I can be <laughs> as successful as Kathy. Um, but what really underlies a lot of this too is that you had a big uh, hiccup in your road, right? I mean, mm -hmm. even given all of the experience of t being in the real estate investing for 10 years, um, you know, having success doing that, the obviously being entrepreneurial, um, to be able to grow that type of network, you have to be like tenacious as well as the ability to see angles of what, mm -hmm. what's needed. Um, yeah. But even you had a, had a struggle in here, right? And I, and I, I just underlined that as the purpose to say, uh, when we look at our ourselves um, as investors, that how easy it is to, to think, man, I'm invincible. You know, I, I must be doing everything right because I've always been making money. And I, I don't think that that's true until it's not true, right? Uh, and then, and that can definitely happen to you in a, in a down market of yeah. where everybody kind of gets snapped back to reality with it. Um, yeah. So, so coming into that, you know, we're, co we're in 2007 now, right? And, and in terms of your story, yeah. um, what is that? What does that asset look like um, that you got into and how did you get into it? Yeah, so uh, basically on The Real Wealth Show, I interviewed people like Robert Kiyosaki and I was a mortgage broker at the time and I knew something was really wrong. I knew that, that the loans that I was able to give to people made no sense at all and the loans that I was able to get for myself. Uh, so, but I didn't really know what the ramifications would be except that I'm like, I, I'm new to this. The people giving us this money must know, you know, what they're doing. But I remember thinking something's off. And sure enough, because I had the real well shown, because I was able to interview people who had been through down markets, uh, people like Robert Kiyosaki said, oh yeah, no, there's going to be a fallout because, uh, you, you, you know, people are getting loans they can't pay back. And so there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity. And he just explained that the way he was preparing for that was selling out of the, the over uh, leveraged markets. And getting into places like Texas where uh, they had much stricter loans and the, the home values were undervalued. They were about 28% undervalued versus California that was well over 100% overvalued. So, you know, he helped me see that, that there's ways to prepare. But the, first of all, you have to trust your gut that there's common sense. And the common sense was, hey, these loans are not going to work out. So what's the fallout going to be? Well, a lot of people are not going to be able to pay them. They're going to go to the bank. So maybe you want to own real estate in areas where people can pay, where it is affordable. And that was Texas. So we did what he said. You know, we bought, I don't know, 14 properties in, in, uh, in Texas. And those, those performed really, really well. But, um, but I, didn't, I didn't only listen to his advice. And I didn't even listen to my advice. Because at that point, I was teaching lots of people, hey, look, at I could sell this way overpriced house in California, this just dump of a property and, uh, and buy four brand new gorgeous properties right in the path of progress near a whole bunch of new jobs and, and new growth in, in Texas. Um, 
you know, I was teaching other people to do that and I was doing it, but then I stopped listening to my own advice. <laughs> no kidding. Like yeah. what in the world would make you pay it's like essentially Robert at that point it's like a mentor relationship for you right I mean in, in some mm-hmm. sense right he's like an advisor yeah uh, whether he's directly advising you or not but then it's also your own advice of saying yeah. okay it's the smartest guy I know told me this way I actually believe this way and I teach this way but I'm going to do something totally different <laughs> I thought I was smarter right? <laughs> I thought yeah. I had it figured out so I you know I started trying to um uh, research markets that are, you know, I just didn't want to be over invested in Dallas. And, and I thought, boy, you know, diversification would be wise. That's what people tell you to do. So I should probably own some properties elsewhere. So I thought I could use the same reasoning and uh, go find areas that had job growth and population growth. But somehow I didn't pay attention to those two metrics that, that I basically was teaching. You know, if there's job growth, there's going to be population growth. People need those jobs and then they're going to need a house, right? So it all just makes sense. But I started, believe it or not, listening to headlines. Now, I, I've been in the media all my life. Uh, that was what my degree was in. I worked in newsrooms. And I know, I know the news business. The, the news business is about selling stuff, you know, selling advertising. So you got to have great headlines that, have, that get eyeballs and sell advertising stuff, you know, so I know how it works, but I still fell for it. And so a lot of the, like the Zillow hottest market stuff and, and information headline news that was coming from people who really didn't know anything about real estate. uh, I just started believing it. And one of the cities that was on the hot new market list. And I thought, Oh yeah, I'm going to outdo Robert Kiyosaki because I know he's not in this market. And uh, so we went to uh, Boise, Idaho which if, if you really looked at, um, at Boise, it was certainly a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place to live. And a lot of Californians were moving there and prices were going up as a result of that. Californians drive prices up everywhere. But what I didn't pay attention to was what I had learned and that was follow the jobs. And there were really not a lot of jobs moving there. There was some, um, so that, that, was, that was first and foremost. There were like three, maybe at best, three major employers in Boise. Number two, you know, jobs bring people. Well, the metro area had like 350,000 people. Now, if half those people are renters, you're, you're really taking from a very small pool. So it just, you know, one of my rules was only invest in a, in a metro area that has at least a million people because if half are renters, now you've got a larger pool. But again, I just kind of ignored that because it was like, hey, Zillow says uh, Boise's hot. <laughs> you know, I want to make some money there. I'm going to get greedy. So that's really what it was about. Because everybody, yeah, everybody's investing in Florida. It's like, no one's going to Boise. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I was wondering about that. It's, it's, one of those, um, it's one of those things that's like where we start listening to like the popular opinion. Yes. Right? And it's mm-hmm. like, and I, what was that? Was Oscar Wilde, I think they said that. It's like everything that's popular is wrong. <laughs> right. Right? And, yep. and I wonder... Um, because it, it's so persuasive, right? I mean, that that's also the same thing I think that happens to us, you know, not for, with your case, it was, you know, on news media, right? That's who you identify it as. But I think for a lot of us, it can also happen like in our lives, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, we have enough people that are around us to tell us something. And then all of a sudden, like it become, we, we accept that as a truth. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's the way we should think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, was there something else that's going um, on inside of you at that time period, though, that's a little bit, um, you know, maybe beneath the surface of this, because 
I heard you say in there that you said, well, I'm going to outdo Robert, you know, and him, <laughs> right? Which to me sounds like a little bit of a like, you know, and I think I got this, I got some yeah. behind this and I'm going to, and potentially I'm just wondering, you know, do you see in there anything about saying like an ego coming in to kind of cloud your judgment of doing things that otherwise there's no good reason for you to do it? Well, you know, it's kind of the, you don't know what you don't know. And, and so it wasn't really like I was trying to outdo anyone, but I, I did want to get there first, kind of like. By the, the way, I don't think ego is wrong, right? Like, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as a judgment. I'm just saying like, we all, I think we all have it. Yeah. We all have ego, right? Where it's like, I think I can be the best and I can know yeah. better or whatever, right? Yeah. So I just want to preface that. If you heard it as a judgment coming from me about like, oh, I think Kathy has ego. I was like, dude, I got the biggest, one of the biggest egos. I have to check <laughs> that at the door constantly. So just so we're yeah. on the same page with that. Well, thank you. And, and it wasn't, it was more just, just lack of experience and mixed with too much eagerness. So that, that was it. Like, okay, I got this. Like I just, we just bought all these properties. They're performing incredibly. We got them under market. Uh, they're, they're renting for far more than, you know, than the expenses. And so we're putting money in our pocket and every month the prices are going up. So it was like, I got this and that's where I should have stayed, you know? And, and so, or just listen to like, had the standards in place so that it would have been very easy to say, you know, Boise doesn't fit this. So what was happening there was there, there was growth. There were Californians moving there and that was driving prices up. So I got, I, I, I would say it's more, it was more of a getting greedy, like, wow, I want some of that because what Texas didn't have was that it had cash flow, but the prices weren't going up the way they were in Boise. And I wanted to jump on that. So oh, yeah, I've heard yeah. Robert talk about a lot about that, where it's like mm -hmm. you start playing that crystal ball, and yeah. you don't realize you're going to Vegas, right? <laughs> capital appreciation. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, you know, because the properties didn't make sense the day I bought them. They weren't cash flowing. It was pure speculation. And that, that was the mistake. And on top of that, because they didn't cash flow, we tried to self-manage because it's like, all right, we'll save money there and then the numbers will work out a little bit better. But let me tell you, trying to manage from a distance was that didn't work out so well for us either. So the whole thing was just a mess and, and not, not such a tragedy. It really wasn't that bad. It, it was just, we had to sell the properties at a loss, but nothing that was going to kill us. The one that that really hurt was a deal I did after. <laughs> so uh, same thing where, now I was on a roll looking around the country for that next place that was going to pop. So, you know, and, and I discovered this little area um, right outside of, it was in Tennessee and um, oh my goodness, it's like a part of Tennessee. I, I can't even think of the name of it right now. It wasn't Memphis and it wasn't Nashville, but um, it's kind of in the hills where, where people go for vacation. And um and so we were able to, we made a deal with a builder. This, it was the same kind of market, although very different, but a similar market where there just wasn't a lot of, of inventory because everybody was buying real estate. So you had to just like almost beg and plead for real estate. And you had to kind of, I mean, people were kind of going outside what they normally would buy because it was slim, slim, slim pickings at that point. There was so many people chasing it. So 
Um, so like for me to come back from Tennessee and say, hey, I just struck a deal with a builder. He's going to give our network 10% of what he builds. And, uh, and we're going to buy a couple of those properties. And because we're going in ground up, we're going to actually get that built in equity. Uh, so it's less risky. And we're in an area that's growing, highly desirable, but again, desirable for vacation. Not, I, I again, didn't follow my rules of follow the jobs. This was vacation. And so we bought um, a property there, got a construction loan. And I remember saying, I want a construction to perm. But I didn't read the paperwork when we signed it. And it ended up not being a construction to perm, meaning that it would convert to a 30-year fixed. It was just a one-year construction loan. So when we, when the house was finished, the market had, had crashed and we were, we needed to refi out of that construction loan. And unfortunately, uh, we already had over 10 loans. And at that time they were, they went from, at the time you could get an unlimited, a number of investor loans, but after the market crashed, you could only get 10. I think it was even less. I think it didn't extend it. It might've been seven. Um, and we were way over that because like I said, we already had like 14 properties. And, and so now we were stuck in a position where we could not refi. And again, this was something that I had warned people about, you know, get your long-term financing. I was a mortgage broker. I, you know, I knew better, but I was moving too fast. I wasn't crossing the T's and dotting the I's and reading the details. And here we were stuck in a construction loan that, that ballooned. And we had to come up with the money like that day and we couldn't get it. It was very challenging. Now, the way that Tennessee works is if you don't pay your debt, you go to jail. It's that simple. No way, really? <laughs> yeah. So, and to make it worse, I put it in my husband's name because I had, I'd already maxed out. So that construction loan was in his name. So it would be hubby that would go to jail. <laughs> and now remember, uh, I did all of this for him. You know, this was like, we're going to, you know, you're going to get the time you need to, to get healthy. I'm going to take over the finances. Look, I'm building this company. I'm doing loans and I'm doing this all for love. And then, <laughs> and then, and then you like, send him to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's what love is. Sometimes love hurts and sometimes, sometimes. love hurts in a jail cell. Yeah. You know, now he didn't go to jail and we worked it out, but it was painful. Was, oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, it was right about then that um, I guess it was Bush at the time uh, realized that we weren't the only people in this situation, that it was pretty much everyone who had a loan at that point uh, was in trouble. And so it was right at that time where a new law came in and said, you know what, you can walk. <laughs> you know, no one's going to take you to jail. But had had that not happened, I don't know what we would have, we would have had to just find some hard money or I don't know. I don't know. You couldn't just put it on the market. This is what a lot of people who don't realize in a downturn, it's not like it's not like today. I mean, you just put a, a for sale sign up and your house is sold. It's not like that in a down market. You can put a, a, a for sale sign up and it will sit and it will sit and it will sit because there's a whole bunch of for sale signs. So, you know, that was the part I didn't know. So it was like, oh, you know, worst case, we'll just sell it. We have a beautiful brand new house and we'll just put it on the market. Well, guess what? There was no financing. No one could buy it. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, nobody could come up with it. Right. Which is, yeah. I think that's why a lot of people when they're expecting downturn markets, right. That they sit on like what they, I think they call it like their cash of war chest. Right. Cause like yeah. you can't on financing, but you can go pick up and scoop up properties for super cheap if you have the cash to get it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 
Well, I was, I was hearing, listening to your story here. I think I heard you reference it. You said that you had gone, you had done two things it sounded like. Because one is that you you had a model and you're going outside of your model. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, and, you know, and you referenced this like, oh, maybe I was too greedy. But I mean, I don't know, man. Because sometimes when I look at that, I think, you know, if you're not going outside of your model, sometimes you're not growing. Mm-hmm. And then greed is actually in a lot, in some ways can be good because you're like, I want to make more money. I want to do yeah. more. So those can be like really positive pieces to it on their own. That's but true. I, I was wondering though, with um, when you were talking about going outside of your model and seeking get money, did you have somebody that you had partnered up with um, that was experienced in that model in that area or were you kind of flying solo and, and making these deals? Yeah. Yeah. I had somebody uh, in Tennessee who was finding these deals and it was, a, it really was a great deal had the market not collapsed. Uh, but again, like, like you said, yeah, I, you live and learn, right? Lots of us learn some really hard lessons and, and many of us learn from those lessons and that's why we're good investors today. Uh, so that's, that's how I had to, to take it. Whenever someone comes to me and tells me their sob story or they're frustrated with their investment, I'm like, that's, this is part of the deal, man. This is how you learn. It's, it's, it's how you become great. If it was always easy you know, if, if you, like I said, if you learn how to drive a car and there's nobody else on the road, you know, you're probably going to be a good driver. But it's when, you know, you got someone stopping quickly in front of you, you got to learn how to brake. So it, it's just every experience, um, you learn something. And in this, in this particular experience, see, I, I wouldn't even say that you have to buy properties that make sense the day you buy them or that cash flow, because it's not true. Like I, I missed an opportunity because of my fear of ever making mistakes again. I didn't buy a bunch of properties in California that, that didn't cash flow. So, so, you know, fast forward to like 2010, we're still licking our wounds. Like, okay, never doing that again. It's cash flow only. I had people bringing me the most ridiculously fantastic deals in Walnut Creek and San Francisco and all around California that uh, because they didn't cash flow, I didn't take them. But, you know, since then they've tripled in value, you know? So you're right that, you know, it, it really does. It's one of the reasons why I'm totally obsessed with market timing now. You don't always get it right. You don't know when the bottom of the market is and you don't know when the top is, but you can have a sense of how close you are uh, and you've got to. So back in 2010, we were obviously at the bottom. I mean, if prices in California were 20% what they had been, that's probably close to the bottom, you know? <laughs> yeah, probably, right? Yeah. Well, and it's one of the, the I remember the, the last downturn that we had where it was like a lot of the guys, I think it was like James Kramer, that he was getting a lot of flack from John Stewart back at the time about how um, he has a show, right? And he's telling everybody, oh, buy this stock, buy that stock, buy this or whatever. But come to find out that he had been out of the market for like four years before the crash. And he's like, why were you out of the market? He's like, well, I knew the downturn was going to happen. I just didn't know when. So I was mm-hmm. happy to forego the gains. So that way I could capitalize when everything like came tumbling down. Yeah. Um, to me, that I was like, wow, that is such an incredible level of discipline to say that I'm going to forego four years worth of capital gains in one of the hottest markets. Because remember at the time, right? It's a frenzy that you read on the billboards everywhere. Everything has never been better. Like we've been all this upgrowth. And I think um, that's one of the things I think we were talking about a little bit before, um, you know, we got on, uh, on the show today was that it was like, are we in that same type of scenario now? But it's kind of like knowing that is, is, is like you have to be picking up clues, 
mm-hmm. and saying like, is it this clue? Is it that clue? What did it feel like last time? Um, yeah. And that's where that experience comes in. Cause it seems to be the way that you define experience is have you gone through a downturn before? And if you yeah. haven't, you're not experienced because yeah. you only know one market. Yeah. I was at a mastermind um, last week with on, on multifamily and there were a couple guys, you know, now, now Real Wealth Network is known for having really sophisticated investors and, and lots of money. So, uh, you know, people want to partner with us because we can raise money for deals really quickly. We've got investors ready, ready and waiting. And, uh, and so I was at this mastermind and I, I kind of mentioned, hey, we're looking for partners. We're looking for people with good multifamily deals and we've got the capital investors that, you know, want, want to be in those deals. So of course that <laughs> people were cornering me at lunch and stuff. So at, at lunch, I, I had one guy on my left and one on my right and both are saying, Hey, what's it going to take to work together? And the one on my left said, you know, basically I I've been doing this for a couple of years. I've already raised $8 million for two different deals. And I kind of looked at him and I said, you've only been doing this two years, huh? Um, do you have a partner who's maybe been doing it longer? And he's like, no, no, but you know, uh, I got it. You know, <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah, I, I, I see myself in you. Right. So I'm like, okay, you know, he just doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. And, and yet he's taking even a bigger risk than I ever took. Cause I certainly didn't raise investor funds at that time. And, um, and then I, I talked to the guy on my right and he, and I said, Hey, what do you think about this area that this person is buying? And he's, he wants to show me a deal. And, and by the end of lunch, it became very clear that, um, that this new investor just, again, he didn't know what he didn't know. And yet he had investors throwing money at him. So that's kind of the market that we're in. It, it, it was, you know, he was buying in, in pretty rough neighborhoods, C-class multifamily with the idea that, you know, there, there will always be demand in that level. But for, for people who've gone through the downturn, in reality, the way it works is, is everything kind of goes on sale. So if you've been living in a C-class property and now B-class properties go down in value and the rents go down, you're going to move. Nobody really wants to live in a C-class property, right? They'd rather live in a B, ideally in an A. Uh, but what happens in a downturn is the people who live in the nicest properties often have to downsize and they move into a B property. And the people who've been living in the C properties now can afford the B. So the safest place really to be is in the middle, right there in, in the middle. And, and, uh, and the reason the person on my left knew that is he had been down that road. He owned C-class properties, went through the downturn and his joke was, hey, I, I, had 50, I, was, I had gone from fully occupied to suddenly 50% occupied with the other 50% not paying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that, that's a pretty incredible piece. Is there any way um, that people can um, learn from, you know, those types of lessons without having to have lived and had the 15 years experience or, or what that is to, to be able to catch up on that? Or is that really something to say, hey, you know, you really just got to live it to know it? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say that you, that's a rare person who can make the right decisions without experience. Um, and again, coming back to the airplane analogy, would you, if you knew you were heading into a storm, and you were flying an airplane, it would be one thing to just be flying yourself. You know, you're, you're taking the risk, you're flying the airplane into the storm, and you're going to either survive it or you're not. 
But if you're going to bring someone else, in this case, put your husband's name on the loan, <laughs> or, or like in this guy's case, take a whole bus with you. You know, if you're going to fly that plane with other people on it, and you don't have the experience in that storm, you better have a co-pilot who has experience. That's, that's the bottom line. So it's like, you can do whatever you want with your own life, but when you're bringing other people into it, you better be super, super cautious because the fact of the matter is, you know a lot, but most of it's book smarts. You know, it's very different in the real world. And no one can really, I don't know if anyone can really teach you. I think people can and are, but the best that I found and the way that we're protecting ourselves and our investors at Real Wealth Network is I, I've got guys on our team and I say guys because I want 30, 40 years experience. And the fact of the matter is that 30, 40 years ago, there weren't a whole lot of women in the business. But you know, I, I want people who have been through it to be by my side and make sure we're making the right decisions together and combining you know, I don't have more than 15 years experience in real estate. So I want someone who has 30 years experience. That's awesome. And, and for people that are, say they're younger, what, what do people that are younger bring to the table? I mean, if we looked at saying that the older people have, of course, have the experience, right? And the touch and yeah. feel of what makes a good deal. Like, what is it, you know, because all the people that are younger out there are going to immediately say like, okay, well, I either I'm not valuable but, but mm -hmm. they definitely are. But what are, they, mm -hmm. what are they actually contributing into like those types, types of communities or those types of deals that gives yeah. them even though they're junior? Oh my gosh. So I just had this conversation with my daughter at lunch today. It's funny you should ask. She's 19. And we were kind of joking about how every generation is at conflict with the older one. Like I thought I was a rebel and really cool and stuff. And she looks at me and she's like, yeah, but you're my mom. And so every generation brings something new. It's a new world. And I would say younger people understand it better because the older people are sort of stuck in the past a bit. And, and so we, we have so much to bring each other. So for me, my partners are 20 years older or so, or more than me. And so what I bring, what I've brought from the beginning is stuff they just don't understand. They don't, I, I mean, the first time we did a webinar, he's like, a what, a what? You know, he, like, he'd never done that. Um, he, he didn't have a website. He, you know, I mean, these are kind of basic things, but young people can bring the technology and marketing that older people are clueless about. Um, so that's part of it. Young people can bring the energy and the drive because the older person, you know, you, you don't want to be partnering with an older person who's broke, right? You want to be partnering with an older person who's made it and that older person has made it. So they don't want to work that hard. Right. So you, but you, but you want to, cause you're young and, and uh, ready to learn and you just need the guidance. So uh, you've got the drive and that maybe the older person doesn't have or need anymore because they have what they need, you know? Um, so there's so much you can bring to the table and work together and complement each other. You know, I, I fill up a room and I bring in my, you know, my experienced experts and, and together we make it happen. Oh, that's awesome. It, Cause the way you're describing like older and younger too, it's like it crosses different generations too, right? I mean, you're For not talking sure. It's yeah. like anybody that's older and anybody that's younger, like that same disparity exists between them of like, who, what can they bring to the table into that? Um, and I just think that's a neat, like a neat perspective to say, like, how do we value each other and, mm -hmm. and who do we need to be looking for yeah. uh, and part of it? But Kathy, and, um, thank you so much for sharing your story. And, and we usually like to end with, um, you know, a, a wrap up on, what the lesson learned was um, from today's episode. So if you were going to leave everybody with say, you know, out of my story, here's what, 
the lesson learned I think that I'd like to leave you guys with, what would that be? Hmm. I would say, I mean, the best way I, again, I talked about this this morning with my daughter. Uh, I, I, when you're excited, you know, you just want to jump in and that's not everybody, but I did. And I see a lot of people doing this. It's like, oh yeah, I get it now. Like you go to your first class and you're like, oh my gosh, I could see what I could never see before. This is how I'm going to get out of this rut and make, make money like everybody else. I'm going to do this. And then, and then you just, you know, you go to, it's like, like the first time you're on dry land, someone tells you, kind of shows you a video of how to swim and you're like, oh my gosh, there's the pool. I'm diving in. And then you're in and you don't quite know what you're doing. And so, you know, that's how I was. I'm like, I'm, I'm diving into the deep end and let's see how that goes. So I would have just you know, somehow bridled myself enough to make sure, hey, let's see if you can swim in the shallow end first, you know? <laughs> let's like take this. I mean, I literally, when I decided I wanted to do this, I, I went to Texas and came back with five properties in a weekend. Those 10 ended up being unbelievable properties. They, they outperformed everything. And, and it was the right choice. But was I really ready for that? You know, maybe it would have been okay to buy one or two, you know, go back next month and buy a few more. Um, so that would be my advice is just, you know, don't, um, it, don't, you don't like get all the information you need, study up and, and then you, you still got to go in and practice and it's still going to, uh, be all new to you. Jump, jump in for sure, but jump in either with a partner who's been there before or make sure you've done an enormous amount of studying. A, a very simple story is like when the first time we went to Costa Rica, I forgot to uh, figure out the exchange rate. So when I went into a store and bought something and, and left and heard the people giggling behind me, I was like, I think I just got ripped off, but I have no idea <laughs> because I don't know what the exchange rate is. Now, how long would it have taken me to figure it out? Not long, but I didn't take the time. So, you know, you, it, real estate's not that hard or that complicated, but a lot of people just think they don't really need the education. Yeah, well said. Um, I think those those are some really solid lessons that come into it. You know, really getting to 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 really look at the the small details. You know, that are really driving what goes on. I mean, you talked about now just the story of being in Costa Rica, knowing the value of money, pretty important wherever you're going to go, right? As well right. as you know, keeping track of you know where are the jobs at, where yeah. are the jobs going. That's how you're going to know where you know demand is going to increase, and that inherently has to drive up values, right? Yeah. Um, there's something I picked up. Um, that really just rang true for, true for me and, and it was a good reminder for me was when you were talking about um, how you were, you were listening to all the popular broadcasts, essentially, right, of, of what you saw online, what everybody was saying, these, these mass media messaging that mm -hmm. you had influenced your thinking on that. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, man, I wonder how many things that I believe right now that's because of messaging that I've heard like that, you know, from like television or online or groups of people that I'm running with. And, um, you know, I, I'm sitting, I'm right. I just wrote it down on my notepad to add into like my, my morning, um, contemplations, you know, is it's like, why do I believe this, you know, to question those beliefs that I have that maybe need to get challenged of and, and how do I really know this to be true? Mm -hmm. And I, cause me you know, when I heard your story about that, I was like, man, if maybe if Kathy would ask herself before she says like, how do I really know this is true that this is really the top hottest market? <laughs> right. you know? 
that yeah. would have been a question to savor. And, and something for me, I, I really enjoy that as a practice to really try to see if I can challenge my own belief systems. Mm, yeah. I really then have to be sure that it's something I believe and not something that's something else like put into my head, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we actually have that in our company now. I, I don't know where, where Rich read it, but it was at every meeting you assign somebody to be the negative person, you know, because nobody really wants to be that person. But each time someone gets to be that person, I think there's a name for it, but basically it's the one who just turned, just like finds a reason why every idea won't work, you know, and it's almost like they're, they have fun with it. But it does get people to stop and go, hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that because otherwise everyone just starts going off on a, everything's going to be great. And yeah, we don't really want to look at the downside, but if you, if you actually assign someone to do it and they're, it's their fun job to just knock everything down, then, then you can, uh, you can look at things you might not have. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we do one thing with Royal Legal Solutions and all of our team meetings where we'll, we'll set up, um, like whatever our goals are going to be. And then we'll ask ourselves and, and we'll, um, have everybody report back on with a fundamental assumption that says, we're going to assume that now you're in the future and that you have to ask yourself in the present, like if this project fails, why did it fail? Mm-hmm. So you have to assume to say like, and that makes your mind open up to see like all of the different pitfalls that could happen along the way instead of just getting trapped in like the, the serotonin bliss of like, everything is great and it's all going to work out and let's not worry about it. We'll I'll just keep quote unquote working hard, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that those are really important because there's something about like working together in groups of people, whether it's investors or inside of companies where um, people get really caught up with thinking like anything negative or contrarian is automatically wrong and will get you like shafted to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny that we ha- now have to assign, we have to <laughs> task people with like, okay, you're the negative one. Yeah. Negative. <laughs> you get to shoot every idea down. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Kathy. And and for everybody that wants to, to connect with you, um, which I'm sure everybody will, because you're so phenomenal to hang out with. Um, <sighs> what uh, What's the best way for them to do that? Oh, thank you so much. Um, you can go to realwealthnetwork.com. It's free to join. And once you join, it unlocks the website. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff we're not allowed to talk about publicly. So it unlocks it for you. You get to see the different deals we're doing and um, lots and lots and lots and lots of free education, weekly webinars, my podcast. So yeah, realwealthnetwork.com. Now unlocking the websites, everything you talk about publicly, is that like conspiracy theories and like how there's lizard people <laughs> and like, no, but I, I have heard about the lizard people. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's sec rules, you know, so it's the private, the private stuff that we're not allowed to talk about publicly. Um, you know, they, to they learn just, more about those deals, but you yeah. have to you have to do it behind. You can't publicly broadcast yep. those, right? We, so that's a good lesson for everybody else out there. If you're publicly broadcasting everything about your deals, you really should check it out because you're probably going to get nailed. Yeah, <laughs> you're not supposed that's to do why, that. <laughs> yeah, that's why she's got the super super secret club. You, yeah. You know, <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Kathy. And, and as always, everybody, this, I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with Royal Legal Solutions, and this is the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining in, and we'll see you again soon. That's all for this Bad Beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.